Welcome back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week, we are joined by one of community's founding pastors, John Ferguson, as we continue our series, Starting Over. For more information, please visit us at www.communitychristian.org. And remember, you can always find us at the Yellow Box on Sundays at 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. We hope to see you there. All right, how's everybody doing today? Yeah, wow. You know, what a week, huh? Woo! I'm feeling pretty good, are you? As a matter of fact, you know, I don't know what it is. It's, it's, it's a little warm in here. I, I can't quite figure out what it is, but... Yeah. Ah, that's much better, isn't it? Woo! And you know what? If you were here last week, I mean, I did call it, didn't I? I said, I know what it's going to take for the Cubs to win, right? Seven games. And what did it take? Seven yeah. Of course, we were down three to one. <laughs> we had no other option, but we did it in seven games. Now, and, and aren't you glad that, uh, I mean, really, you were able to have a true blue Cub fan up here to talk last week and this week, you know, instead of unnamed other person who teaches here sometimes <laughs> that I won't talk about today at all. His last name's Ferguson. First name sounds like Rave. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, you know, I actually got to go to the parade. And it, I mean, it was amazing. I was like three people deep in the parade, got some great picks. Ben Zobrist, MVP, Addison Russell, who hit the Grand Slam. But I got to tell you, you know, the most incredible experience was when my son and I actually, well, I'll let you take a look. Look, look what we were able to do. Like, <laughs> I mean, these guys, they are so generous just to like welcome us up on the bus, enjoy the parade with them. Can you, can you believe that? Yeah, yeah, Photoshop does wonders, doesn't it? <laughs> All right, turn to somebody near you and give them a high five and say, no regrets for the Cubs, huh? All right, well, we do have some other stuff we, <laughs> we're going to talk about today in addition to the Cubs. Let me ask you, um, how many dog lovers do we have in the house today? Dog lovers. All right, raise your hand if you're a dog lover. Okay. Uh, you know, somehow Lisa, my wife, and I, we resisted the urge uh, to get a dog when our kids were at their peak dog-loving age. Now, I almost caved many, many times, but I kept picturing myself out at 6 a.m. in the morning when it was like 10 below zero walking that dog. And now, you know, I know dogs can be great pets. Many of them are incredibly smart. They can do some amazing tricks, you know, like, you know, race through obstacle courses, run through tunnels, jump over hoops, all kinds of stuff. But as amazing and as intelligent as dogs can be, uh, they also tend to do this. Take a look. I got it. That, that is cute. Yes. But because those dogs won't let go, they're stuck, right? I mean, they're stuck. And I would say that, uh, you know, when it comes to our regrets, 
Uh, truth is often, I think, we're a lot like that as well. And we've been talking about this over the last several weeks, the fact that we all have regrets. You know, it might be something that you did that you regret. That would be a regret of action. It might be something that you didn't do that you wished you had. That would be a regret of inaction. Or it might be something that actually happened to you. It was no fault of your own, but you still have regret. And we've called that a regret of reaction. And so like that dog, you know, we, we, we try to hold on to our regrets and we get stuck in what we call the sorry cycle. This kind of endless pattern of longing and regret, longing and regret. We long to make things right to start over, but we just can't seem to do it, which only leads to more what? Right, regret. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. See, regrets don't have to be a dead end. Regrets don't have to be a dead end. In fact, regret is meant to be a helpful emotion that can actually launch you forward into a better future and a closer walk with God. See, our regrets don't have to be a finish line. In fact, our regrets can be a starting line. Uh, You know, last week we introduced you to a man named David, a man who faced his regrets. Uh, David, the one who took down the giant Goliath, uh, the guy who wrote much of the book of Psalms. If you open up your Bible right to the middle, you'll probably land in Psalms, a book he wrote a good portion of. He was the guy who was the king of Israel. He was called a man after God's own heart, king of Israel, yet he royally messed up when he was smitten by Bathsheba, the wife of one of David's most prolific soldiers. And so David calls Bathsheba to the palace, if you recall the story from last week. And you know, it wasn't just to, to kind of talk, if you will. Uh, Bathsheba becomes pregnant. David finds himself in a horrible mess, and he plans an elaborate cover-up. He calls Bathsheba's husband back from the battle lines, hoping that he would spend some time with his wife while he was home, only to find out that he's got a lot of integrity. He wouldn't enjoy the pleasure of the home while his men were still out on the battlefront. And since that doesn't work, David sends him back to the front lines, tells his generals to abandon him so that that Uriah is actually struck down and killed. And just when it looks like that David, you know, is going to remain stuck in this cycle of longing and regret, what happens? God sends this prophet Nathan to confront him. And in that moment, David has a choice to go on hiding and denying or to come clean and recognize his regret. And thankfully, David chooses the latter. He chooses the latter and he takes that first step towards starting over. But here's the truth. I think that we probably already recognize and know is this. To recognize our regrets is not enough. All right, To recognize our regrets is just not quite enough. Last week, uh, we introduced you to Greg and his starting over story. Uh, Greg became addicted to drugs and alcohol at, at a very young age. And I mean, his choices ended up just ripping apart his family. And when we left him in part one of his story, he just moved to Chicago where he was making his first attempts to get sober. And now we want to show you part two of Greg's story. Here we go. In moving to Chicago um, and living with an aunt who was in recovery, even though I wasn't that attracted to the idea of, of AA meetings and recovery meetings, it was the only option that seemed available. So I found myself uh, beginning this path of recovery in Chicago. I stayed sober and um, a lot of great things happened. My family got back together. I graduated college and it was great. You know, all these good things happened. I felt very at peace with who I was and where, where I sat in the world. And so I mistakenly thought that those feelings of insecurity and those feelings of being lost and all that confusion that I had growing up was the reason I couldn't drink like other people. And so I thought since I'd solved these issues, uh, obviously I had solved any problem with alcohol or drugs and I can now 
go out and have a beer with a and with a person and it wouldn't have any power over me so i was probably about four or five years into sobriety um that i made a conscious decision to do a little experiment and see if i could drink again there were three rules that i had uh one rule was that i was only going to have three drinks so i decided that i didn't want to go home with a stranger that night um so that was rule number two rule number three was that i wanted to make it to work the next morning so three drinks, no going home with strangers, and waking up and going to work the next day. And so what happened was I have no idea how many drinks I had. Um, I don't have any idea what her name was, and, um, and I did not make it to work the next day. So I'm drinking all the time, um, but I'm not really ever hitting a bottom because I have, I mean, frankly, because I, I have all this stuff, I have all this money. I don't know how long that would have continued on. Um, had I not been tricked into trying cocaine one evening. And by tricked, I mean I was drunk, and someone laid out a pile of cocaine, and I did a big Stevie Nicks rail, and instantly I knew this was going to be a problem. And the thing about cocaine, and, uh, and later on crack, is that it will instantly, no matter how much you have, it will take it away. And I'm kind of feeling at a loss of not knowing what to do, and so I called a friend of mine, uh, Grant, and I saw that he had something that I didn't have. He was open to talk about anything I wanted to talk about. And I wanted to talk about God. He suggested that maybe I should try going to a church. And so I was out in a treatment center in Oregon, and they would, you know, bus, bus us to church on Sunday mornings. And so I decided to go with them one day. And I hadn't been in a church for a very long time. And they began talking to me and making me feel welcome and inviting me to small groups. And I explained that I, I'm not going to live here, that I'm you know, going back home to Chicago. And um, the couple that I was talking to said, oh, that's great. We have a daughter that lives in Naperville. Um, you should probably talk to her. She happens to be visiting this weekend. Turns out she goes to the very church that I was thinking about going to check out, and she invited me to, um, to come by. And I, to this day, I have no idea who she was or who they were, um, none, I, I don't recall, but that began me coming back to church and, and finding my way back to God. Not only am I not drinking and doing drugs, but I've now found my way back to God. I'm attending church. Um, my career is great. It's never been better. Uh, I'm serving with this high school students, and, uh, and I end up meeting a girl there who's today my wife. Uh, so, frankly, I'm, I'm on top of the world. I mean, things couldn't get much better than, than they were going. And so I forget to pay attention to the fact that even though everything's good, there's still certain things I shouldn't do in life. And suddenly I find myself thinking, uh, as we're out to dinner one night, um, that maybe it's a good idea if I order a glass of wine with dinner. Honestly, that was the beginning of a very, very long and ugly, painful cycle in my life. That glass of wine quickly became cocaine and that quickly became uh, heroin. I found myself at a place that I just never thought I would ever get to, and that's alone and homeless and hurting everyone that ever comes into contact with me because they try to help, and I just, I just break their heart again and again. I'd love it if we could just say thanks to Greg again for sharing his story with us.
and uh, be sure and come back next week and he'll tell you the rest of his story. And you know, your circumstances may be different from Greg's. But I think all of us know what it's like to be stuck. You know, in that cycle of longing and regret, wanting to break free, but just not being able to do it. And that first step towards starting over is to recognize your regrets. You know, we have to look them in the eye, face them head on, admit our regrets to ourselves, to God and to someone else. But we can't stop there. Because next, next you need to release your regret. You need to release your regret. Say that after me, okay? Release your regret. Right? Um, most of you uh, might be familiar with the fact that my family and I, we moved to the city uh, several years ago to help start more community locations in Chicago. And uh, we live on the north side. We rent an apartment. So I'm a tenant. I have a landlord. And a while back, we were having trouble with our clothes dryer. Uh, on occasion, it was making some noises and even like leaving little marks on our clothes. But when we signed our last lease, our landlord asked us to sign a waiver saying that if anything went wrong with the clothes dryer, that it was on us to repair it. Now, to this day, I'm still not sure why I signed that waiver, but I did. And so I wasn't about to spend a penny to get that fixed when it wasn't my own. You with me? Give me out of the head. That's the way you should respond, right? I guess. I don't know. So I do what any mechanically challenged man would do. I start banging on the dryer, right? I mean, what else do you do to try to fix that thing? <laughs> Am I the only one? Okay. Well, maybe. Shockingly, that didn't seem to help. And it wasn't long before our clothes started having little holes in them. So then I do what any you know, tech-savvy American male would do. I Google dryer leaving holes in clothes. And when you do that, I mean, just all sorts of sites pop up with sort of all kinds of questions designed to help you troubleshoot what's wrong with your dryer. Uh, but sadly, most of those questions still require some sort of uh, mechanical aptitude. <laughs> and so I finally uh, go to the landlord and beg them, please replace our dryer. And they actually did. Good tenant landlord story, huh? You may be wondering, where am I going with this? Here's where I'm going with this. See, I think our regrets, they they have a way of telling us something's broken. You know, something happened or we caused something to happen. And like I said, you know, first we have to recognize our regrets, but we can't stop there. So today I want us to ask some questions that I think will help us understand or maybe kind of troubleshoot what's broken so that we can take that next step and actually begin to release our regrets. Okay, so when I ask some questions, I think can help us take that next step towards releasing our regrets. And the first question is this, okay? The first question is this. You can watch them on the screen. Do you regret hurting someone? Do you regret hurting someone? Is that what your regret is that you think about when you think about regrets? I think our regrets can seem the most difficult when it involves someone else, other people, because when we've hurt someone, what we have to do in order to release that regret really is to ask forgiveness from the person we've hurt. All right, so if you regret hurting someone else, you have to ask forgiveness from that person we've hurt. Now, I know it's so tempting to talk ourselves out of it. If you've been there, I'm sure you have. You know, we may be afraid that, you know, we've caused damage beyond repair. We don't want to be rejected when we kind of awkwardly, you know, attempt to seek forgiveness. But you know what? As hard as it might be, I really believe that face-to-face conversation with that person may very well be what it looks like to release that regret. You know, I had something happen to me just within the last week where I said something And almost immediately after I said it, I knew that was not the right thing to say. And so I reluctantly went back to that person and and I think I made it right and, you know, asked for forgiveness, but it was so awkward. But I know right now that's what I needed to do in order to release my regret. I got it right that time. Um, The Apostle Paul was writing to new Christ followers about how to love one another when he says this, and I love these words, he says, as if it is possible, he says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. 
And see, I think the apostle Paul knew, he says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, I think he knew, all right, that we can't control how the other person responds, right? But we can begin to release our regret when we've done all we can, all right, to live at peace with someone as far as it depends on you. So let me just ask you, have you done all you can to release that regret? So if you regret hurting someone, ask forgiveness from that person. And let it go. Release it. You see, a second question we can ask is, uh, do you regret committing a sin? Do you regret committing a sin? Sin. Why don't you say sin after me? Sin. Yeah, I mean, not a real popular word, probably. (laughs) Aren't you glad you came today? We're talking about regret. We're talking about sin. Next, I'm going to tell you that bacon's bad for you or something like that. (laughs) Let's go back to the Cubs, right? One author describes sin this way. Sin is the culpable disturbance of shalom. Sin is the culpable disturbance of shalom. You see, God hates sin, not because it violates some law, but because it wreaks havoc on shalom, the wholeness, the oneness, you know, the the peace that, that God wants for us in our relationship with him and with each other and with the world. And see, sin is anything that runs counter to the dream that God has for our lives. See, sin is relational. Sin is relational in that it puts distance between us and our Heavenly Father, who so always has our best interest in heart. A quick sidebar, if what we're really regretting is just getting caught, we haven't really recognized our sin, our regret. You know, sometimes we're like a little kid with powdered sugar all over his face, right? After getting caught eating the donut. The kid doesn't regret eating the donut. The kid regrets getting caught. My daughter, when she was little, whenever she would get caught doing whatever it was that she was doing, she would always start saying, I love you, mommy. I love you, mommy. I love you, mommy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) She didn't regret what she did. She regretted getting caught. And see, I think too often we stay in denial about our sin. And I got to tell you, for me, it's almost always pride, almost always pride that's getting in the way. And yet I know if I'm honest with myself, I cannot release my regret until I first own it. And, you know, I think David understood that when he was confronted by Nathan regarding his sin. And that's why David said, I have sinned against the Lord. That's what David said. I have sinned against the Lord. I might think, okay, well, David, no, I think you sinned against Uriah, right? I mean, you, you know, you slept with his wife, you had him killed. And well, that's absolutely true. See, David understood that there was also kind of an even bigger reality at play, that David sinned against God. He disturbed shalom. He put relational distance between himself and his heavenly father. So how do we release this regret? How do we release this sin? Well, we got to ask God for forgiveness. And I don't know, maybe praying to God isn't something you're used to. I don't know, maybe it is, but it's something all of us can do and need to do. You know, maybe it's saying it out loud or maybe it's writing it or maybe it's silently, but either way, we can ask God for forgiveness. And see, that's how David released his regret. And most scholars would agree that David wrote Psalm 51 just after he came clean, admitting to Nathan all that he'd done. And check out what David writes when he writes this to God. He says this. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. 
For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Do you see David owning his sin there? Do you see that? He's owning the wrong he committed against God. And then he asks God to help him start over. And he says, create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit in me. And in this prayer of confession, I think David is seeking diligently to restore his relationship with God. And so I would just encourage you, okay, if you don't know how to ask God for forgiveness, go to Psalm 51, open up your Bible in the middle. You'll find it, it's close there, Psalm 51, and pray this prayer. Pray this prayer. John, one of Jesus' closest friends, reminds us that when we confess our sins, God will forgive us. The sin is gone. It's no longer there. God doesn't even associate that sin with us anymore. We're the ones that try to get back into that sorry cycle and remind him of it. He's going, what are you talking about? I forgave you. So let me ask you, do you regret a particular sin or or maybe a sin pattern in your life? Ask God for forgiveness, then release it. Let it go. Well, maybe your regret is not a sin that needs forgiveness. Maybe you haven't hurt anyone, but you still feel the pain of regret. It's not a sin. You haven't really hurt anyone, but you you still feel the pain of regret. And the third question we can ask is this. Do you regret making a mistake? Do you regret making a mistake? Uh, Last year, uh, Lisa, my wife, and I decided to uh, celebrate our 25th wedding anniversary with a trip to Italy. And, uh, you know, we've been sightseeing energetically for, for days and we were tired. You feel sorry for me, don't you? Tired sightseeing in Italy. How hard is that? But, you know, we kind of decided that we'd sleep in on our second day in Rome and take it easy. And it was about seven o'clock in the morning when we were awakened when my iPhone began to vibrate. And my son, Graham, uh, wanted to FaceTime me from home. Um, I knew this was not going to be good. I quickly figured out that, okay, if it's seven o'clock in Rome, then it's midnight in Chicago. And then as I cleared my eyes and I was FaceTiming with him, I could see that my son was at an intersection in downtown Chicago. And the first words out of his mouth was, Dad, everyone is okay. But I just totaled the car. Uh, Suddenly I was wide awake. Uh, Then he told me that a careless driver had sideswiped him (laughs) at that intersection. Now the truth is my son had no business being downtown at that hour of the night anyway. And so he felt horrible about what had happened. He kept on apologizing. As a matter of fact, he continues to bring it up to this very day and apologize for what happened. And I, like any grace-filled father, always remind him, son, it's okay. It was just a mistake that cost us thousands of dollars. But you know, when we make a mistake, we haven't sinned, right? We haven't sinned. But sometimes we still feel awful, right? Don't we? So how do we release that regret? Forgive yourself. Forgive yourself. Stop replaying that story over and over again. Stop dwelling on the if-onlys. Like, if only I'd switched from the socks to the cubs. (laughs) I couldn't help it. Just, Just could not help it. It was just a mistake. <laughs> Whatever it was, though, if you have one of these regrets where, you know, it's like, I haven't sinned, I haven't hurt anybody, but I still feel awful about it, forgive yourself, let it go. And then the final question on our chart here, the final question is a little bit different than the previous ones, and it's this. Do you regret being hurt by someone or something? Do you regret being hurt by someone or something? And, you know, maybe it wasn't your action or inaction that caused your regret. The regret you feel 
might be there because you've been hurt. And it could be that you were simply at the wrong place at the wrong time. It might be that an adult hurt you when you were a child, or maybe your body betrayed you and the doctor uttered words that uh, were scarier than anything you've ever heard in your life. And I would say that this type of a regret can actually be some of the most difficult to release. Uh, how many of you saw the movie or maybe read the book, uh, Unbroken? Do you remember that? It was out a few years back. Yeah, a few of you. Uh, Unbroken tells the story of Louise Amparini, the former Olympic track athlete who spent two horrific years in a Japanese prisoner of war camp. And it was during World War II. And uh, Zamperini, if you know the story, I mean, he was tortured by guards in that camp in ways that are just brutal, very difficult to watch on the screen. And after being released, you know, he just dreamed of, of getting revenge on those soldiers who abused him so severely. But in 1949, Louis Zamperini chose to follow Jesus. And the following year, he actually traveled to Japan to visit some of the imprisoned Japanese war criminals. And while he was there, he embraced his former guards and assured them that he'd forgiven them. And then years later, he actually tried to reach out to the one guard who was absolutely most brutal to him. That guard refused the meeting. Uh, Zamperini was disappointed. But you know what? He knew that the forgiveness in his heart had long since freed him from a prison of hate. He knew that the forgiveness in his heart had long since freed him from a prison of hate. So how did Zamperini get rid of his need for revenge? You tell me. He forgave. He chose to release his former enemies from what their actions deserved. And you know, to release that kind of regret means we need to forgive the offender when everything in us wants payback. Even when it means we're left with all sorts of unanswered questions. And just to be perfectly clear, you know, to forgive is not to excuse. It's not to overlook. It's not even to forget necessarily. Forgiving is to let go. It's to release. The apostle Paul writes these words. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. And I'm often reminded of these words from author Lewis Smeads. Let this kind of sink in. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and to discover that that prisoner was you. To forgive is to set the prisoner free, only to realize that prisoner was you. So if it's possible and safe, reach out to that person who has hurt you. If it's not possible or safe, you know, it may not be. That person may not be around any longer. That person may not be safe, or you just might not be at a place where you're quite ready to do that yet. That's okay. But you see, releasing your regret could start maybe with, I don't know, maybe writing a letter or putting your thoughts on paper, writing about the pain you feel and, and the release that you want from it. And you may never, never mail that letter. Sometimes just the act of kind of writing it down can be helpful on your journey toward healing. You might need to find a group that can help you. You might need to find a, a Christ-following therapist to kind of walk you through some of this. But one last caution about these kinds of regrets. See, sometimes in our pain, I think we want to start questioning God's goodness. You know, when we experience something like this, that, you know, we were hurt, no fault of our own. We want to question God's goodness. And I think that's completely understandable. But let me just reassure you that God is never the author of evil. If something awful happened to you, that, that was not God's dream for your life. He's not your enemy. It's not your fault. But he feels the pain right alongside you. 
you know, how and when he chooses to intervene, I don't, I don't always get. But please don't run from God. Run toward him. Tell him how you feel. Share your pain with him. Talk to him. Question him. He wants to help you release your regrets. He really does. Well, I'm guessing over the past 20 minutes or so, you have at least one or two regrets that are weighing on you today. And so let me just urge you, remember, regret doesn't have to be a finish line. It doesn't have to be a finish line. See, it can be a starting line. No matter who you are or what you've done or what's been done to you, you can live a life beyond regret. And see, just as David chose to release his regrets to God, we've all got to call out to God and release our regrets to him as well. And so we want to give you a chance to do that right now. You know, in a few weeks, we're going to be on to another series. We'll be out of starting over in in a couple of weeks, but we're going to be talking about something else, something really important. But I just got to say right now here in this place, don't walk out of here wishing you would have taken this opportunity to say, okay, God, I, I can't do this on my own, but I release this to you, whatever that looks like. Don't let the pain of regret go any further into your future. Make the choice today to let it go. And if you were here last week, we know, you know, we gave you the chance to come up to these, we call them regret walls. And you were able to write your regret on one of these walls. It may be a symbol or a letter or a mark or a picture, whatever that meant to you. It's up to you. It's fine. Lots of people did that. You can see it. I mean, it's incredible what happened. Through the course of the week, we actually had people walk into the box and say, hey, I, you know, I, I thought about this. I want to write something on the wall. Can I do that? Absolutely. And so we believe in the power of recognizing and releasing our regrets. And so we're going to do this again. And so in a few moments, we're going to sing a song. And the song says, it says this, it says, I'm letting go. I love the words, I'm letting go. But then it says, but when I'm go, when when I'm letting go, I'm falling into you. And that you we fall into is Jesus. See, when we let go, when we surrender, he promises to be there for us. And that's a promise that comes from the one who would rather die than live without us. And so we're going to celebrate communion like we do every week. You're going to come come down front here. You can take the bread that represents his body, drink the juice that represents his blood. You can take it here, eat it and drink it, or you can take it back to your chair, whatever you want to do. And during that moment too, we're going to give you an opportunity again to go to one of these walls and and just use this moment. Say, okay, God, I I need to recognize and I also need to take that next step and release. And if there's something about that that helps you kind of, okay, God, here it is. I think there's something physical about that that kind of helps us. Then you go to that wall and just whatever it is to you, picture, a symbol, a letter, whatever it might be, go to the wall and do that as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. It's going to be a little chaotic. That's okay. We've set aside time to do this. But everybody just take a deep breath, okay? Would you do that for me? Just breathe in, all right? Got that? (laughs) And imagine with me for a moment. Imagine that that regret that you've carried for far too long is lifted. Imagine that that story that you've replayed over and over in your mind has lost its power. The volume is fading. The pain is subsiding. Can you see yourself moving forward? So you don't have to stay in the sorry cycle of longing and regret. Let your regret be a starting line, not a finish line. We're gonna sing a song as we do. Let's celebrate the Lord's Supper. Come down, eat the bread, drink the juice here. We'll take it back and then use this time to recognize and release your regrets, okay? Let's celebrate the Lord's Supper together.